My friends, it has been a very disorienting couple of years, to say the least. And I know that, like all of you, I've been trying to put together a narrative of what is going on, (laughs) what's going on in the world, what's going on uh, in different communities that I'm a part of. And one of the questions I regularly ask people and people ask me is, what is going on with Emdria? If you have heard that question, asked that question, this episode is for you because today we get all of our questions answered with our guest, Carol Miles. Carol was not only a former president of Emdria during COVID, but is also a current board member. She is a trainer in Louisiana, and she is someone who has a deep passion and commitment to EMDR. So tune in today as Carol and I help all of us construct a narrative of what's going on with Emdria, taking us back four and five years ago, walking us through all of the buzz and the changes and the innovation that Emdria has been up to, to help us make sense of what has happened, to help us understand what is happening now, and help us understand what the vision for the future is. Enjoy. So I am very grateful to be here on the podcast today with Carol Miles. Carol has had so many different leadership roles in Emdria over the years and uh, has been gracious enough to come and speak with us to help us understand, give us a narrative about what has been going on in Emdria. Lots of transformation, lots of changes and excited to to get to know you and hear about what's been going on with Andrea, but also just to understand, you know, more about how you have held these leadership roles during COVID <laughs> and during all the things that have been going on. So thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Well, Cambria, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate all that you're contributing to EMDR and I'm happy to be a part of that. Well, I think that you and I have have messaged each other quite a bit over the last year or so. And I think we both have a love and a passion and commitment for EMDR and making sure that it's received in a really effective and safe way. And as you and I were talking about putting this podcast episode together, I was becoming more and more impressed with not just what you've been doing in your leadership roles, but also what Emdria has been doing to support all the pivoting that we've had to do as clinicians. So I'm excited to talk about all of that today. Um, I'm excited too. That's great. I love all the work that we've done, all the things that MDRA have accomplished. I mean, I I think it's a great organization. Yes. And I hope people listening today can understand that and feel proud to be a part of that and and to really understand um, what's been happening behind the scenes. Before we go into all of that, do you want to let folks know where you are and kind of what you're up to in your own practice and your own training? Sure. So I'm located right outside of New Orleans in a small town called Covington that is near the city of New Orleans, about 45 minutes away. And I have a solo practice. Um, In addition to a direct practice with adults, I also am a virtual trainer. I haven't done any face-to-face training since the beginning of the pandemic, but I became a trainer in 2015. And so we do several trainings a year. And then since the pandemic and we moved into virtual training, I've done exclusively virtual trainings. So I love that. I love teaching. I love uh, helping other people learn the stuff that I've learned that help their, helps their clients. 
So that's the biggest part of what I do. Live in this small town and teach people all over the world. So cool. I have to ask, you started training in 2015. Was that in person? Yeah, 2015. In 2015, there were no standards that allowed for any virtual training. So when I started, um, I started in a, a role as an adjunct professor at the School of Social Work at Tulane University's program there. And we offered this as a continuing education program and allowed students to participate once they'd completed their core competencies in their master's program. And so I did that in person and it was such a thrill to do it. I, my very first training, I remember really vividly having my dream training team there with me to support me because I was a little nervous about stepping into being a real adult and do the training as a trainer. Um, and so I had uh, Sue Evans, who's since passed away, Sandy Kaplan and Karen Alter Reed there to help support me as facilitators as we worked with the, the students we had then. It was great. And then I've trained continuously since then, but it wasn't until the pandemic that we were allowed to do Zoom trainings anywhere. And actually, Emdria, I'm very proud to say, was the very first place that allowed that. I should take this back a little bit. Australia had a different type of virtual training that they did prior to Emdria, but the first uh, live streaming of all of the sorts of trainings for Emdria really happened with the pandemic and very soon after the beginning of the pandemic. I'm trying to take myself back and, I, and I'm excited to go back, but I'm also like, oh, do we have to go back to 2020? But I'm trying to take myself back to 2020 with you to think about just that time in February and March when we all had to figure things out so fast. And, you know, consultants and trainers not being sure, are we, are we allowed to do EMDR with clients online? Are we allowed to train online? Like it was all this newness in a time when we were so overwhelmed and just traumatized and in shock by what was happening. What was it like for you as a trainer to have to, to pivot? I mean, I'm guessing you're pivoting your clients virtually, but also you're pivoting your trainings at the same Everything. time. Everything. So one of the things that was really fabulous for Andrea to accomplish was the year before we had a task force mm. to look at can we do EMDR online? If you remember at one point, that was really controversial. And there were many naysayers, loud voices who were saying, no, you can't do EMDR online. It's going to be this horrible disaster. With the pandemic, we had already studied that for a year. And we coincidentally were in the process of publishing the paper that made recommendations about if you're going to do this, this is how to do it. Right at the point that the pandemic shut everybody down. And wow. so Emdria suddenly had this series of recommendations available to all of us who are Emdria members posted on our website. And I think that was very helpful. I was, like everyone else, apprehensive about the thought of becoming a therapist online. And now it just seems like so normal. It seems yeah. like it works. It works like it did in my office. Sometimes I do face-to-face -face now. And you know, that works and it works online too. But the, the bigger piece as an Emdria board member was we had all these trainers. I mean, not just my trainings, but all these trainers across the United States and Canada who were stopped in the water. I was finishing, I just finished a part one uh, in March, came home to the, oh, can't do that anymore. And then had my part two set up and we moved it into the virtual capacity. And so that was, a, it was very eye-opening to learn that. Those were interim standards that Emdria passed 
very quickly. The board agreed that it was important to do this to keep people getting trained in EMDR and providing the services that are so needed worldwide. So we moved ahead, did the interim, and then by the end of that year had our first draft, um, our first run of the standards for virtual trainings. And then we approved virtual trainings amazingly quickly. If anybody knows our staff at Emdria, they know that it's a very small staff and they do a tremendous job of getting things done. They're the ones who implement the things that the board decides. So we decided, they implemented, and boom, we were all virtual trainers. That's how it changed. It seemed almost overnight. It was so quick. Which is so miraculous. Um, and I want everyone listening to just hear the the innovation that was demanded of us and, and of Andrea, because to think that every single person in that that small kind of core group or everyone on the board was going through their own stuff, was going through their own trauma with the pandemic and their own feelings. And somehow, I don't know how how you would describe that that culture that allowed everyone to be able to focus enough to make all of these things happen for every for all of us, for all the EMDR clinicians, for all the trainers. Because if you think about it, it's almost kind of like you guys are the headquarters and all the trainers are going to be, you know, like there's this army that needs to be deployed in right. this mental health crisis. And it's like, how do we get the troops out virtually? I mean, I can't imagine the, the potential chaos uh, and just the overwhelm of doing that, but it, but you did it. We did. We had a, a small group of task force made up of board members and non-board members that looked at what's the best way to do this. We brought in a consultant on how to manage learning management systems online and really tried to figure out the best way forward. I don't think we figured out the perfect way to do anything, but I think we figured out a good way to get going and to look at it. And that was really hard work some nights, you know, late nights up with the folks who were on that that task force. And then the board is a very hardworking board. So they're involved in a multitude of other things. So there are folks working on standards, there's folks working on other things, trying to make sure that we have all of the structure within Emdria, because we also that year decided to become a distributed workforce. Mm-hmm. So instead of having all of the folks be housed in Austin, we then decided we could have a distributed workforce. The board agreed and our executive director went forward and began to hire people from other locations. So we have people on staff from one coast to the other coast now. Mm-hmm. We do have a larger staff today than we had when we start, when I started out on the board almost six years ago. And they're, they're still, the majority would be from Austin because we still have people, uh, same staff people that we had before in many cases and added new people in. And that's been very exciting to see that happen. One of those new people um, helped us to develop opportunities in terms of what we offer to members with our publications. And we have a host of publications now. When I joined, we had a newsletter and we had the journal for research. Now we have the journal for research. We have Go With That magazine, which is award-winning, by the way. We won an award. Congratulations. Kudos to the staff there. Great job. Um, We have the Focal Point blog, and then we have a whole list of toolkits and practice resources available on the website. And that staff put all of that together into our website for and to keep all of that running. So all that infrastructure was happening while the same time that we were converting to this distributed workforce. And it was really a, a, was a lot of work for everybody involved. 
to make all of that happen. And then that year progressed. And as you well remember, then the Black Lives Matter movement really blossomed. And at that point, we as a board began to really reckon with where are we in terms of diversity and inclusion? And we then uh, developed a statement and uh, decided that it was important to all of us on the board to be anti-racist. So we want our organization to be an ally for folks who are not part of the dominant culture, who are from all different walks of life, many different types of intersections there, of course. And we wanted to create that purposefully, which has been another whole look at how does the organization run? How do we set things up? How do we do the best way possible there? So that's been another part of of the years since the beginning of the pandemic. And, And well, since my years on the board, which is, I have sort of a weird term because I got on the board and then I ran for president, which I said I wasn't going to, but I did. And then I was president-elect and I was president for those two years we've been talking about. Then I was past president for a year and I said goodbye to everybody. And then somebody left the board and they said, Carol, do you want to continue on? And I said, sure. I wasn't quite ready to say goodbye yet. And as you can imagine, being this involved in such an incredible organization was hard to say goodbye. And so now I'm completing that sixth year on the board. So, so many different uh, experiences you must have had in these leadership roles and and still have now. And I I think I want to slow down what you just said, because I think it's really important for folks to understand this. You know, we were all invited to take a position around Black Lives Matter and all the different... um, kind of social justice things that have been happening over the last couple of years. And I know that I always appreciate when um, a business or organization takes a position uh, and and explicitly has a value around something. So I I appreciate that there was a position of we're anti-racist, like we're like we're a safe place. And I think that for mm-hmm. clinicians to hear that is 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 comforting. Right to know that that our our leadership is giving us that message to be really clear on where we stand with that. I hope so. I think one of the things that we've added to the trainings is in a, is all of the trainers must include in their training now a whole section on how do we work with a more diverse more diverse population. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole section on anti-racism and racial trauma that we. Um, have embedded into the curriculum for basic training. So those of us who got trained some years ago didn't have that, but everybody going forward since um, last year, I guess it is, uh, sort of last year on when the pandemic occurred and when it ended and has it ended. But since we made these changes to the standards, we've now required that part and that will grow and change over time. But right now we're using the Go With That magazine that was devoted to racial trauma as the basis of, of that information. Wow. And I imagine that that decision will open up lots of other groups to, to feel like they have, uh, you know, the appropriate clinical information or inclusiveness um, that that makes me feel excited, makes me feel proud to be part of Andrea that way. You, you you mentioned briefly just now, well, you mentioned lots of things that you guys have been doing, but in particular, you mentioned this um, kind of revisiting the standards do you want to, you know, obviously Francine passed away and, and lots of things were kind of 
falling into place. And do you want to kind of walk us through just like what was happening behind the scenes mm-hmm. during that time and, and how, with the standards being revisited? Like, can you, can you give us a picture of what that was? Um, Before Francine passed away. So she died in 2019, I believe. And um, she died just before the conference that was held in California, the last conference that was held in person. And that conference, we, we held a memorial for her. So I think that was the last. But before that, before Francie, before we thought she was going to die anytime soon, um, we had decided to invest in something called the Council of Scholars. And the Council of Scholars is an international organization that Emdria started or instigated, I guess is the best word for it. It's run under the journal. So it's not run by the board of Emdria at all but we fund the majority of it. So we budget it, but we don't run it. We're invited guests when it occurs, when they have their meetings, but we're not, I mean, I went to the meeting and I I just tried to be super quiet because I was just an observer and a guest there. So the Council of Scholars is made up of, as I said, scholars from all around the world. We have some American scholars, Canadian scholars, Japanese scholars, folks from all parts of Asia, all over the place. And they're, they're the folks who've been spearheading the research around the world for EMDR. And the first time I went to the first Council of Scholars meeting, the first inaugural meeting, I was blown away by the brains in the room. I mean, just- I can't imagine. <laughs> it's really incredible to think that I was witnessing these folks all coming together. Well, our thought had been that we would create the Council of Scholars And they would begin to develop kind of the directions for research to go in. And when our founder passed away, that would be really helpful to have because there wouldn't be another textbook to come. Well, Francine died before we really expected it. Thank goodness we have the Council of Scholars because they're in place to support our uh, psychotherapy model and help it continue for her legacy to continue throughout however long it needs to continue so that we know which way to go with it now. You know, Francine was quite an innovator. Yes. Put it mildly. She was curious and interested and creative in her work. And so we don't want EMDR to be stagnant and stuck. We want it to be creative and growing and changing, but we want it to grow and change and not get rid of the things that have worked well, but to enhance those things and create new things where possible. So we want to be innovative, but we also want to keep what works. So we're following the Council of Scholars and the research that that they develop and others develop, of course, to see where is EMDR going to go? There's so many things yet to see. So many things. And and I, I appreciate all that you just said. And I didn't get to know Francine personally, but from what I've heard about her and what I've read about her, she was constantly innovating her own work. I mean, she was, she really, I think, saw it as such a fluid, dynamic modality, um, explaining to an entire psychotherapy model now. And, and we're so grateful for that. And I can deeply appreciate how challenging it must be to keep the validity of something that's working <laughs> and also be open to learning more. I am so grateful that there are folks task to figure that out. It just, I imagine that's really challenging to do. Absolutely. And and when you get a lot of um, advanced folks in EMDR together in a room, they don't all have the same opinion. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're all coming from different walks of life, different cultures, different understandings, and they're coming together in a way. So I'm from Louisiana and we make gumbo. So I think of it as a gumbo, right? So, and there are all different kinds of gumbos. There are seafood gumbos, there are green gumbos, and there are um, chicken and sausage gumbos or duck and sausage gumbos. There are all kinds of gumbos, right? And they're all fabulous. And so this is this big gumbo pot of all these different types of scholars who are putting things together and um, choosing what recipes are we going to use now and when and how. And one of the big ones that came out over the last year came out of um, the clinical component of that, where we're really really looking at the definition of EMDR. And so there was an article published in the journal. When I say the journal, I mean the Journal of EMDR Practice and Research in our journal, that really the title of it is, what is EMDR? And so it looked at some new ideas about how to address that. We have a definition of EMDR on EMDR's website. That's our role to do that. And this article makes some subtle suggestions and not so subtle suggestions in some areas about ways to really look at that. So that's been already an incredible outcome. And we're, as a board, addressing that information, looking at it. What does it mean? What does it mean for Emdria? But that came out of the Council of Scholars that got started back then. So it's an amazing, it's amazing thing to watch. I'm so proud of Emdria for spearheading the start of that. I think it's it's an amazing story. Wow. Uh, what is for folks listening or watching and for myself, what is the best way to get a peek into what they're talking about or what they're up to? Is it to read the journal? Is it to go to the conference? Like how do we get to know kind of what is the the next thing in terms of innovation for for EMDR? So I think that the the first thing is to be a member of EMDRIA. That's let's just start there. Because once you're a member of EMDRIA, you have access to the journal you have access to the Go With That magazine. So those two publications, hand in hand, Go With That magazine is a real practical kind of magazine. Um, I look forward to it every time it comes because it's focused on a topic and it has a broad range of folks. Some of those folks are folks who've been on the council or are on the council and they talk to their subject, right? So we've got that. And I'm a very practical kind of person. I'm not really an academic. So the journal is much more academically written and it's about the um, research. And we, we now have new, that was the other thing that happened since I've been on the board is that our longtime editor, Louise, decided to retire. Mm-hmm. So we've had to do a search for new editors. So we now have two editors that, that work together to run that. And they're top-notch folks that do an amazing job of really vetting the research as it comes in. So I think those two places are going to be the most likely places that you're going to hear anything. But you'll also hear things when you come to the conference. So when you come to the conference, there will be speakers who are likely, some of whom are part of the council. There'll be, um, uh, there are always plenary addresses that will look at various aspects of what's going on in the world and, and EMDR. Mm-hmm. And there'll be places there where that information, I think, will become more readily available to the membership. It's a you know, there's a there's a bit of a separation sometimes. I think we have almost, I think we have 12,000 members now or, or right about that. And that's a huge organization. So there are a lot of people in the organization who have no idea who Carol Miles is or who Embria, Cambria Evans are. They don't, they don't know us, right? It's 12,000 people. They don't know all of us. That's fine. But how do you find out what's going on in Embria? Be a member, 
participate, be actively involved in Emdria, come to the conference. Next year, the conference will be held in September in Virginia. And um, we'll, I'll be there. So look for me. It'll be in person. Yeah, we're, we're, that's, you know, I'm going to knock on wood. Knock on wood with you, okay. <laughs> so I hope so. That's the plan to have an in-person conference. Wow. The conference will again be live streamed and recorded, which is a, a great opportunity for people, but it's not nothing like giving somebody a hug in the hallway. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to those moments again with people. And next year, I won't have any responsibilities as a board member, so I can just walk around and hug everybody. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that happens. That sounds amazing to be together. You know, you, I, we're going to get back to standards, but I want to just give some context. You're saying 12,000 members. Is that in the U.S. and Canada? Canada is a very small part of our membership. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, um, but that may include the, the, so MDR Canada folks join. And as part of that, they have access to Emdria. Got it. It's part of their membership. So I don't know how they're counted in that number. Okay, got it. So, but we're talking mostly in the United States, then that's the 12,000 members. That's correct. And I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do we have a sense of how many people are part of different Emdria? I know there's like Emdria for Europe and different countries or continents. Do we have a sense of how many EMDR clinicians are trained? In the world? Yeah. I'll have to to dig around and find out. Well, because I, you had shared with me when we spoke that you said um, when you joined Emdria, um, I think it was, was it 2004, 2008, you said that there was like 3,000 members. Yeah, I, it was 2008. And I think there were probably three to 4,000 members at that time. So we've grown very rapidly over the years. And even with the pandemic, there were predictions that we were going to lose members and we would slow down the growth, but it, we really have not had that. I think people are hungry to be part of a community and Emdria is a community they can be part of. And it sounds like there was not too much interruption of training because of the, all this work that y'all had done to kind of make these standards for virtual training and get everyone set up and, and pivoted to do that. So that's incredible. And wow, such accelerated growth since you joined as a member in 2008. How would you describe the culture from, from when you joined to now? Does it feel different given mm-hmm. all the new people? How, how would you articulate that to us who are kind of just coming in and wanting to understand mm-hmm. the story? So I think that when I started out, there were folks who were what I call first generations. Mm-hmm. So the folks who are first generation, Emdria folks, often were trained by Francine herself. They knew one another, had known one another for years. And I know I would be in the Emdria conference meeting and feel like I'm not like them. I wasn't trained by her and I don't know her and I haven't been here a long time. And I felt a little um, lonely sometimes. I did have my mentors who I had met through my training and, you know, I would go look for them whenever possible and you know, go sit by them or go talk to them. And they they were wonderful in introducing me to people. And that was great. But because it was a smaller group, it felt as if there was sort of an elite group. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't intended. I don't believe anyone intended that, but it was just a just kind of by virtual of of uh, people knowing each other a long time. It felt that way a bit sure. over the years. Um, now I've been involved for a long time. So now I know a lot more people and I don't feel lonely too often. But I also learned to just smile and say hi to everybody and talk to everybody and and try to make everybody, I felt like I had kind of a hostess job when I got on the board. 
And what I was also before that, I was on the conference committee. So I felt like I had a hostess job there too. Wow. And so I would try to um, speak to people and help help them not feel as lonely as I felt. But I think now that it's so big, I can't really have an elite group because there's too many people there. And yeah. there are many, 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 many groups. And now with all of our networking opportunities, so that's changed also in the years while I've been with Emdria. At one point, there were Emdria regional networks and the regional networks were not terribly defined. They were it was sort of the Wild West a little bit. I founded a regional network with a colleague as well. And um, it was a great opportunity for networking and connection, but the, it was a little complicated in figuring out how did it relate to the mothership. And there was there were no rules about that. Yeah. So in the beginning of my term as presidency, we decided to make a change to what we did with local networking. And then we were interrupted with the pandemic. And that's still something that we need to work on. My local chapter and many local chapters decided, all right, well, we're not regional network for Emdria, but we're still a regional network. So we continued on, mm. um, barely skipping a beat with that. And I think that still needs to be more patched into the mothership, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I think that now the online community is much more robust. We have that one community that I forgot the name of at this moment that everybody is automatically assigned to. And then you get to pick the other communities that you want to be part of. We have those opportunities for you to get emails or a daily digest or a weekly digest of what's going on, who's the consultants all talk together and the trainers all talk together and the folks who are interested in more issues around diversity, the folks that are more interested in perinatal, I mean, different topics or, or areas, I think create more connection and then we'll have meetings of those groups face-to-face uh, -face someday wow. next year. It's it's so interesting. I'm listening to you talk about, you know, regional groups and and it's like, I can feel in my body this this hope of like, oh, that would be nice for that to come back again. And I mean, I've I've been in with Andrea since you know only 2016, got trained in 2016. And um, it's like I can even see the expansion of the online community piece, right? I mean, because I every day I get I get the general listserv kind of QA. People are giving each other like referrals or feedback or training suggestions. Mm -hmm. I'm on the consultant listserv I get every day. So I can see what other consultants are thinking about and, and what they're asking each other. And I don't think I realized until just right now that I I utilize those emails as a way to stay educated about well, what's my what's my community talking about? Because you know, we're lonely in our offices, but I think, I think even, I think even, you know, we had the Emdria conference, but even just having those touch points mm -hmm. with each other, just to say like, what are, what are we talking about? What's coming up in the office? Like, what should I be telling my consultees, you know, that I'm not thinking of or haven't gotten trained in yet? Mm -hmm. so that for me feels kind of like an anchor just to kind of check myself a little bit too. And, and just to kind of see who's out there. <laughs> And I think it's different than the Facebook groups. You and I are both parts of various Facebook groups. But the Emdria group is, um, it's, uh, I think it's people who are very passionate about EMDR, who are very connected through Emdria. And so it's different than folks who just arrive through Facebook. It just has a different flavor to it, to, to me. We're also working, uh, one of our staff members is really tasked with the area of working with those communities and building them up and trying to have folks within those communities who are actively volunteers, who are actively looking at the communities and trying to sort out, you know, what are the ways to encourage conversations there that are meaningful yeah. and appropriate. Yep. And so we're trying to, to police those ends of things, not really much police happening, but, but involvement 
in that way. So, you know, trying to encourage those conversations more than anything else, because some of them were quite stagnant for a while. Mm. And there's no point in having one if it's not going to have a conversation going on in it. So we're really working with those pieces. That's great. I, I think at this point in my career, the idea of having a Facebook group to manage feels like my worst nightmare. Just because there is such a spectrum of um, ideas, ways people speak to each other, at each other. And so, you know, I haven't noticed anything that felt abrasive to me on the Emdria listserv. I think everyone keeps it pretty professional and and considerate, which is kind of nice. And I appreciate that there's an intention to clarify what that space is, right? Yeah, I think if there if someone attempts to post something that isn't professional, it is moderated. Yeah. And so, you know, we're we're trying to be as careful as possible to keep that a safe space for all of us. Yeah. But then that's great though, because culture is defined by what we don't allow and what we promote. Right. So to have both of those things feels um important. I'm I'm listening to us talk about all the things y'all are doing, and I'm like, gosh, this is a lot of work. <laughs> It is. I will say that the time that I've spent on the board has been amazing. I mean, whew, it's been it's been a lot of work. The two years that I was president, with all the, the changes that occurred in our country at that time, it was a, a lot of work. Um, my husband and my son, well, my son was here for the beginning of the pandemic. They were like, "You're going back in the office again?" <laughs> well, yeah, I got a little more to do. I, here, I got this and whatever. So you know, it's a there's a there was a lot. To do and not just me, everybody on the board was doing that. I don't mean to toot my horn. Everybody on the board was pitching in because it was so important for us to move forward. We had our own infrastructure of the board to transform in many ways over the last six years. We've really created a, a, an actively working board. And not that the boards before that didn't accomplish something, but we accomplish things differently now. So we transform some methodology to uh, to work better with this big of an organization. I should say another big thing we just got hot off the press here is we've developed a nonprofit foundation. We never had that before. Only everything. I don't know this yet. Yeah. So the Emdria Foundation will start out with um, looking at some aspects of working with diversity that are going to be really important. So look for that news when it comes out. I can't tell you everything about it just yet. But the board has voted for the foundation. It's been established. We have a 501c3. So there'll be a nonprofit foundation that you can uh, donate money to tax deductible as opposed to Emdria, which is tax deductible if you use it as business expense, but it's it's not from the other standpoint. So that'll be a great opportunity for people, I think, to, to donate towards research, to donate towards making changes with regard to um, how do we really help support more diverse populations being part of our community, being consultants, being trainers, getting certified. How do we make all of that happen so people can be strong proponents of EMDR throughout the various aspects that they're working? So that's 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 happening right now. That's brand so new. cool. That is yeah. so cool. And we got and we got the inside scoop. Um, let's go back if we can to kind of the story of the last couple of years. So Francine passes. You know. And and we we have this kind of beginning of a of a plan or infrastructure with this council, international council of scholars, and then COVID happens. <laughs> so here we are, really excited about the council of scholars and about the conference and everything that was going on and the the board that we had at that time was you know 
really passionate about what we were doing. And then COVID happened. And so then we devoted a lot of time and energy to try to sort out what do we do differently if we're doing an online training? Yep. So one of the things that um, we tried, some people tried and other people didn't try. Some people tried, all right, we're just going to mail that manual home to you. That one you would have walked in, I would have handed it to you. And then other people discovered the, the benefits of having an online source of that material. So like I developed a learning management system, which is Canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my Canvas, when students come into that, they have the opportunity to get that manual, but they get a lot of other stuff too. There's, I mean, I've always been kind of a big handout person. So there were a lot of handouts that would happen with my manual, but now there's a whole ton of them that are broken into articles and scripts and uh, issues around racial diversity and issues around work with kids and all that sort of stuff. And then I have a video library in there so people can look at some snippets of advanced training material once they've completed their work um, in basic training and other stuff. There's like a lot in there. It's a bit overwhelming at times. I think for me, it's like, oh, look how much there is. It's a big library here. But it, but it's um, nice to have it there. It's all there. It's all online. So when you come on Zoom and you do the training with me, you get that. And all of our trainers now are required to have a learning management system. Mine is one example. There are many ways of doing it. Um, Canvas is only just one, but we're all required. If we're a virtual trainer, we have to have a learning management system. We also have to look at how do we teach? Yep. So how do we teach online is different than how we teach in person, Mm -hmm. just like online therapy and face-to-face therapy has some similarities, but some differences. So we had to develop those skills um, and we use some theoretical knowledge from adult pedagogy and um, teaching and plug those things in so that virtual trainers really have to think about it. How do I teach? How do I handle the classroom? How do I handle getting this information across? What is Zoom fatigue, right? (laughs) Been online for too long and you just can't take any more information. And how do we manage that? How do you warm up a room online as opposed to in person? Um, So all of those pieces are plugged into the virtual standards in addition to the curriculum that is, we've always had standards with regard to curriculum, but those curriculum standards were enhanced. They were improved. As I said, we brought in some issues around um, cultural diversity and racial diversity there and so, and how to work with those types of difficulties. And so, you know, we've, we've um, added in all of those pieces now into the standards. And so you've got to, you've got to really show us in the back door of your house, so staff goes in, takes a look at the back door. So, and they can come in and watch you as a trainer. That's part of our agreement as virtual trainer yeah. that you will be observed. Mm-hmm. And that was the old standards were give us your manual. Mm-hmm. Does your manual fit our steps? Okay, you're in. That was it. There were no other yep. uh, rules to follow. And now there are um, different aspects of things. And I think it just makes the trainings better. It was difficult for trainers. You know, change is hard for people. Um, Some trainers embraced it and have really grown and blossomed. Some people have acquiesced and been willing to go along with it and are doing okay. And I think for the most part, most trainers decided they wanted to become virtual trainers. And we have all sorts of folks who want to become trainers. So now we're looking at, we have a new uh, volunteer process that the board's executed that's called the Training Council. And it's made up of folks who are consultants and trainers, some of whom are volunteers, some of whom are board members, 
who are looking at what are we doing with training and how do we make trainers? What's the best way to make trainers? The old way was you had to know somebody who was a trainer. You had to kind of get in that way Mm -hmm. or you had to write your own manual and and push it through somehow, which is not easy to do. Some people have without going through another system, but that's a lot of figuring. Yep. And so, you know, we've, we're trying to look at a way, can everybody come in the front door now for Emdria? Can we open the front door to becoming a trainer? And then from there, give you some different options of which way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get licensed or work for somebody or create your own training, but here's the basics you got to know. Here's yep. where you got to come in at. So we're hopefully going to have those standards available in uh, September. We have a deadline for September for the training council for that. That training council is also looking at, that's um, for virtual trainers. What are we saying now about face-to-face trainings? Yeah, because face-to-face, I mean, we think it's coming back. Yeah, hopefully. So we have people who are out there doing face-to-face trainings now based on the old standards. But what do those standards need to be like? We need to update those. Mm. And then we need to look at, you know, how can you become a trainer? Is it going to be all under one umbrella or multiple umbrellas? I don't know the answer to that. That's still in process and being worked on. I'm part of the training council and I love it. It's a great group. Those people there all really care about what they're doing and it's very, very important. So we're looking at all of, of those pieces. Emdria has got a lot happening, a lot of really hardworking volunteers who are actively participating and then hardworking staff folks who are doing a great job. Wow. So many, so many things going on. I thought I was busy. I'm listening to you just like, this is a lot and it's, but it's all helpful. It's all helpful for the community. Um, you know, I, I really want to go back and appreciate what you were saying, because I think what I inferred about what you said is that when, when someone is going in to observe a virtual training, my sense is that there's some kind of standard of quality that's expected, not just in terms of the curriculum that's being taught, but also the the teaching and learning environment. Exactly. And and I appreciate that as a teacher, but also just because so many of my consultees have said, I love EMDR, right? But my training experience was it was just missing some pieces. I didn't feel energized. I feel like I was watching paint dry, or I just felt like the teacher wasn't attuned to me making sure that I trusted myself enough to actually go use it with my clients after the training. And so I imagine if a trainer knows that they are being observed, that they're going to be invited to kind of step up their game a little bit and create that energy and create that learning environment so that people will then go use EMDR with their clients. Yeah, we, we want people to complete EMDR training and feel empowered to go out and be EMDR therapists. That's what we want. And so what's the best way to do that? You know, my personality is different than your personality, but we can both be good teachers. So we have to have some standards to look at to evaluate that. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what the evaluation process will be. It also will be a look at, are you doing what you said you were going to do with the curriculum? So it used to be that you could submit your curriculum and nobody knew what you were teaching in your classroom. You submitted your manual. We trusted that you were teaching that manual. And sometimes there's drift. So here's another opportunity for Emdria to encourage the trainers to be faithful to the curriculum standards that are currently in place. Mm. And there's no Emdria police. What we want to do is help people. So if you've drifted for whatever reason, let's have a conversation about that and look look at how does that work best 
for everybody. Mm. So it's, you know, the greater good here is really important. But there are ways that people can teach that can be fabulous and completely different than mine, right? They can manage a classroom totally different than I would manage a classroom. Doesn't mean they're a better teacher or I'm a better teacher. You know, really the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the therapists that come out and practice. Mm. How many therapists are practicing? So I, just a, a cool thing that happened to me recently, a young lady that I trained in that training that was interrupted with the pandemic. I trained part one with her and then the part two virtually. I got an email from her last week saying she was going to go present to our state school social work organization on EMDR. Yeah. And I was like, this is so cool. What can I do to help <laughs> you with that? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I know folks are going out and practicing what they're doing. I know that in Louisiana that I've been part of that change. And that's that's what makes me excited. Yes. Part of that change. And so... You know, we want all the trainers to have that experience. We know that when folks practice, so 2015, the year I got, um, excuse me, 2007, the year that I got trained was the year I believe they began implementing consultation. Prior to that, consultation wasn't required. Now it's 10 hours, right? Probably an arbitrary number, but that's what we got. But the 10 hours of consultation transforms the training, I believe, so that it is much more practical and hands-on for people. You've got the didactic component, you've got the practicum component where they really get to try it out, and then they get to come in and talk about their cases for a minimum of 10 hours. How cool is that to really get people launched? So the system um, has, has the components in place, and we just need to make sure that our trainers are doing their, their best selves yeah. yeah, putting forth that process. We want to support that and encourage that. Well, and I imagine anyone who who is so in love with EMDR and has gone through training, certification, consultant, trainer, they're obviously going to have a positive intention to train other people in the best right. way possible. So I imagine there's lots of opportunities as Andrea is growing and there's more support to do a really robust faculty development in a way of, of teaching and learning. And for those people listening who maybe aren't EMDR trained yet, if they were to figure out how to get trained in EMDR, has Andrea made all the curriculum the same? Is it kind of like the trainers have different teaching styles and that's how you pick? Like how do... Are are curriculums different? Like how do how does the consumer understand that from this point? So all of the curriculums are based on the same information. Okay, but they can be delivered differently. So for instance, there are some trainers who deliver it in a five day package. There are some people who deliver it in the classic part one, part two, three days each. Mm-hmm. There's some people who deliver it over eight days, two days, two days, um, yeah, over eight days total, two days here and then a, a wait and then two days here and another third part, two days and a fourth part, two days. There are a variety or there's people who teach it in the college style of a weekly class. Yeah. So there are different ways that it's delivered. Within that, you're going to see different assignments. Um, you're going to see different videos uh, to exemplify information. You're going to see different exercises and practical components to the teaching that will look very different. So, for instance, if you're looking for someone who has a great deal of experience in a certain area because your practice is that area, say addiction, you might want to look for a trainer who describes in their training a focus in in that area. They 
basic training is standard protocol. Everybody's got to teach standard protocol. But so if that, you're giving the content example, is the same. Yes, yeah. right. If you're giving the training on standard protocol and your examples to exemplify things, you're talking about phase three or four, and you're talking about a case that you had as the trainer that had a problem with addiction, then it comes across a little bit differently. But the, the standards make that an even playing field as far as what must be delivered. Okay. And then there are these other embellishments around that. Okay. So, so, yeah. so kind of like your library, people can have, you mentioned kind of having like more advanced topics available if folks wanted to, to dive into that later, because it's all through this kind of learning management system. But but the basics are there and those have kind of like a consistency. for perfect. Right. Okay. I find that most people have about three ways that they decide that they want to, who they want to get trained with. They look on Imdria's calendar and they find a date that looks good for them. That's like a big thing. What dates are good for me? So they decide that. They want to do face-to-face, they want to do in person, they find those dates. And then they look at price. Mm -hmm. So then they look at how much does this cost? Is this going to work for me? Most trainers have um, some modifications with regard to price related to profit and nonprofit. And sometimes there are scholarships available. There are all sorts of different things to look for there. And then they ask their friends, who do I know that's been EMDR trained? Who who trains you? Did you like them? Who and then they just, they shop that way. And so those are the three main areas that I see people selecting hmm. for trainers. You know, I think that we have a very robust list of trainers on the calendar. And, you know, Google them, look them up, see what they look like to you. Does that fit you? Does that resonate for you? Ask around, see what, what it looks, does it fit your budget? Is it going to work for you? Some people have payment plans, some people don't. Some people have credit cards, some people don't. How do you want to do it? So what, what works for you and different people like different people. Yeah. We've got a lot of choices. That makes me, there are a lot of choices and that makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm imagining, you know, with my, with my magic wand here, wouldn't it be amazing if just like we have for the Emdria conference presentations to get our CEUs for Emdria membership, you know, we have to fill out these quizzes at the end. We have to fill out kind of like a customer satisfaction survey, it would be so amazing to, I know y'all are working on so many things, but at some point for the consumer to have some kind of quantitative measured evaluation data available to them to understand, you know, are people passing these trainings? Are they getting the competence, but also are they having a positive learning experience captured in that satisfaction data? That would be an incredible resource for folks to be able to make really informed choices because it's so hard to ask around. <laughs> it's so yeah, hard to ask. Like, it was, is. That I look at, was that? Yeah. <laughs> I look at that on, on uh, or I look at that on Facebook and I think you don't even know who's answering you this question. <laughs> you really want to go where they said to go? Yes. So I'll take that back to the board. I think that's an interest or the training council is probably what I'll take it to. Uh, you know, I think that's an interesting proposal. We are requiring evaluations. We are requiring an online quiz. Imdri has a quiz that's required yeah. of all of the, the trainings for that are online. And I imagine that that will go into the face-to-face trainings as well. And then the, the completion rate is important. Folks who complete the training, we've, we've really transformed in the U.S. to where the completion, basically we encourage everybody who's a trainer to sell it as a package. It used to be just sold part one and then you could like wait three years before you took part two. 
you have to complete the whole thing within a certain time frame now. Yeah. That's is it still is it still 12 months? I think you have to do everything. Yeah. Virtual training. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was one of our that was one of the new standards that came up. So all of that I think really enhances the process for people to to get where we want them to go. The idea of making that available to the consumer is is a little complicated. So, but I'll I'll bring it up. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just imagining not like Yelp. Yelp, Yelp is a mean place, I think, but like some kind of <laughs> evaluation data. Yeah. Because I imagine just as a teacher, I'd love to get that data about my own programs and, and courses. And also, you know, because it, it makes everyone better and more attuned to what they're producing and, and kind of enhances the quality. You talked a little bit about the standards evolving. What is important for folks listening to understand about what that process meant? You talked about it in terms of virtual trainers. You talked about it, it that it's coming to the in-person. When you say that the the content and standard protocol, like, like what does that mean for, for us to understand that, that statement? Well, let, let me say something about them not exactly answering your question. Yeah. I'm weird. I'm not exactly answering it. Yeah, right. that's okay. Let me back up a step. Yeah. So we were actually, we had a task force of consultants who were meeting together to talk about consultation for certification and what the standards needed to be about that. And we were meeting, and this was a great group of volunteers, and then the pandemic happened. And we had to address this other big concern about how to keep our trainers going. Yeah. And so we had to abandon that. Mm-hmm. It isn't that we don't think that those standards need to be addressed. We do think those standards need to be addressed. But you've got a triage in the chaos, right? <laughs> That's right. We also think the standards for consultants need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So that is that are those are our next steps mm-hmm. for M3 to look at those pieces about where we're going. And so then what can we expect, I guess, maybe out of the trainings now that we wouldn't have been sure that we were going to have before? Fidelity to the model would be the big takeaway piece here. So we looked at the third edition of Francine's textbook. Mm-hmm. And we, meaning the task force that looked at virtual standards initially, that that was it. We, As a board, we agreed to stick with that. And the task force worked with the text. So it's fidelity to standards is very important. In the, in the new virtual standards for the curriculum for trainers. And forgive me for not knowing this off the top of my head. The year that that book was um, published, the third... 2018. 2018. Okay, so recently. Well, that's not really recent when you well, look at it. This is 20, <laughs> almost 2023. And when like APA requires that you have... Yeah, forgive me, I'm not going to remember how what year it has to be. 2018 is still okay, but yeah. it will not be okay. So we're going to have to have more up-to-date components of the training. Our our Go With That magazine is more recent, but there'll have to be some other pieces too. What are those going to be? And that's where the Council of Scholars really is going to come in. Those are going to be articles that will be more recent. I think you have to have at least three within the last three years or five years, something like that under APA. Okay. So that's that's a big to-do about how to do that. That, That's a major deal. Mm -hmm. Wow. So it sounds like that 2018 text is now the basis for the basic trainings. And there will have to be, it sounds like, continued evolution and modification in those right. standards because APA is requiring things to be updated and new research to be integrated. It require updated information. And, and that will make some change, I think, to that portion. But I don't think it will change the desire to adhere to the 
standard protocol. We're, we're teaching standard protocol with some modifications. Our textbook includes modifications in particular areas like working with kids or working with the military and so forth. So, you know, I think that we will continue that focus until there is a reason to change. Right now, there is no reason to change from that piece. There are a million psychotherapy models and a million psychotherapy techniques out there, right? And I think that EMDR works, EMDR therapy works very well, glove in hand with many other techniques or or models. I mean, uh, hypnosis, for instance, or psychoanalysis or um, CBT, all of those things can really work together. If you look at the adaptive information processing system and you set that up as your umbrella, you can do a MAGO therapy. Mm-hmm. Now, you want to start with this AIP. You want to look at what are the sources of symptoms and pathology, and you want to address it from that standpoint using EMDR, but that doesn't mean you can't do EFT if you want to. It doesn't mean you can't include that in the whole package of the psychotherapy you're providing to an individual, not a random person who had uh, PTSD, but an individual. And what do they need there that's going to be most important to them? Mm. So basic training is going to give you the tool set that um, the basic tool set that you need to have is going to have all the basic parts to it. And 99% of the time, you're going to use standard protocol, but are there other things that you can use sometimes? Absolutely, do you need to for sure. You need to know them. Hence, advanced trainings and other knowledge bases that I think are are going to work together to make you a really good therapist. I think that's a beautiful summary, and and it resonates kind of with my experience because I got basic trained in 2016 when I was pregnant with my twins, and have only done EMDR since then exclusively. And what's been so Amazing to me and also challenging for me is to continue to take what I learned in my basic training and kind of update um, with special populations, right? So, um, you know, neurodivergent populations, LGBTQ, like I just am constantly finding myself being invited. To, to take this modification or this special group and kind of go back to standard protocol and understand how those things all go together. And I think what's been helpful for me is getting consultation forever. I'm always in consultation for people who are niched in those areas in a way that I'm not. But also just, I, I just did my CEUs uh, through Andrea. I went through all the, there's this beautiful library of like all the conference presentations and there's right. this beautiful dashboard you can choose from. And I was watching the the EMDR 2.0 presentation oh. that I think was categorized as like an innovation topic. Right. That's right. And I just thought, wow, this is kind of blowing my mind about a lot of the things I learned in basic. And, and I appreciated having the the space, you know, in, in that conference presentation to think about that in a way that was like in a container, <laughs> right. right? In a container that I wasn't kind of like off on my own trying to figure those things out. Right. I think there's going to be more to come on all of those innovative areas. Yeah. That one and others. And we've always had, well, the whole time that I've been involved at this level while it was on the conference committee and then on the board, we've had this innovative component to the conference where you can go find out where it looks like things might be going or maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. So, you know, there's something new or different or a special population to work with there in the innovative areas. But I think you really want to stick with standard protocol, the eight phases, the three prongs, the majority of the time. 
And it is definitely where you want to start from. It's the basic building block. You got to learn the basics. You got to learn how the building is for a hundred percent. And I, what I appreciated too about that conference presentation was after the presenters, I think it was um, Susie Matheson and Adajong presented. The facilitator did a really beautiful job, I thought, of asking really challenging questions about how how's what you're saying. Like, let's go back to what Francine researched, and it was it was it was like a really helpful way for me to blend those things together and make sense right. of what you talked about. So again, I appreciated the container um, and all the work that must have gone into giving us that. So that was helpful. Absolutely. You know, and I think that we also look at cross-cultural influences. So mm-hmm. that particular training is done by people who are from a different culture than ours, who have a different standpoint. They're from the Netherlands, I believe, and they have a different way of doing and, and being as, as all different cultures do. Mm-hmm. And so their perspective is different than ours. So it's nice to look at it from different perspectives. Yes. Um, but I think that EMDR therapy now has been taught internationally across a lot of different <laughs> cultures and has passed those tests and can be accepted on every different level that way. And so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a believer um, you know, this is this is my this is where I feel like I fit the best over all the things that I tried all the years that I've been in practice, and I I like helping other people learn more about it. This is true about you through and through. I've I've sent a consultee to come and sit in on your training, and she just had such amazing things to say about just the um, robustness and the comprehensiveness of what you put together for your trainees. I know that you and I have had lots of email conversations about clinical reasoning and frameworks and. I do get the sense that you are somebody who is so, like, you just live and breathe this. I mean, you also have fun and do lots of fun, fun other things. Too. <laughs> yes, you have a good time. And I, I see the dedication and passion you have for EMDR. And I think it speaks volumes that you have been part of Emdria since 2008 and that you have, with all the other things you have going on, believe in this so much that you have stepped into these really challenging, complicated leadership roles for the last six years to make everything function and, and make sense and move forward for all of us in the community. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you have, you and, and the board and everyone that's on the team have done that for us. So thank you. Well, you are very welcome. It's been a joy. Wonderful. And this is delightful to talk with you about all the great things that Emdry is doing. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to to understand more and get the inside scoop. And you're, you know, we'd love to have you back on if there's any other updates to to share with folks. This would be a blast. Sure. So love to do that. Let me know. And if anybody who's listening wants to know more about any of the things that we've talked about, you can give them my email address or my phone number. And and I'm, I'm I pretty much could talk about EMDR anytime. So. <laughs> it's true that you can. Yes, we will put all your contact information in the show notes if anybody wants to get consultation with you or come train with you. We'll make it available for them. Thank you so much, Carol. You have a good one. Thank you. Okay, friends, I hope that was helpful. I I am so grateful to Carol Miles for joining us today. I know that she's so busy. So thank you for the time. And I want you to know that this is an ongoing conversation. So if this was clarifying, I'm so glad. If you have more questions, you are always welcome to email me. Uh, I know that Carol would love to come back on and answer any um, other questions that we have so that people feel clear about uh, what the changes have been in the community and what we can look forward to and what we can feel proud of. 
And I want to say that, you know, as we have these conversations with people in the EMDR community, uh, people in the therapeutic community about change, about innovation, about culture, um, about identity, I hope that all of us understand that as we listen and get more questions or something resonates, that we are now in a process together of creating culture. And what I want to say about that is that I think many years ago, culture was something that was defined and rigid and given to us. And now there are so many ways that we can come together and have important conversations publicly here on the podcast about what people need and want now, whether it's us as clinicians, whether it's clients, uh, consumers of EMDR or trauma-informed therapy. I'm excited that this space here on the podcast will be a place that you can trust us to have conversations with different perspectives and different folks um, about what is going on in mental health, uh, what is going on in research, what is going on in practice building so that you feel like you have what you need to be the best, most supported, zero disturbance version of you. So with all of that being said, y'all, I am rooting for you all the time. I love getting your emails. I love developing relationships with all of you. It means so much to me that you trust me to be in your ear. As always, I am going to be wishing you health, safety, and wellness. And until next time, take care.